Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Welcome into a new edition of the Lions 24-7 podcast on a beautiful April morning. Tyler Donahue and Sean Fitz starting off on a Monday. We're going to try to get to a restructured format here. Both of us uh, spending some time away from the beat recently um, has kind of messed with the schedule. We're looking to record Mondays and Thursdays because throughout spring practice, based on some media availability, that's probably going to make the most sense. We've been coming to you before on Tuesdays and Fridays. We're going to give this a whirl, Sean, um, and we got plenty to talk about because we had James Franklin last week. We had Taylor Stubblefield in recent days, the wide receivers coach. There's a few future matchups added to Penn State's schedule down the road, um, recruiting talk, some transfer portal notes to get into, um, and a mailback question to finish things off. So we are uh, ready to roll into another week here. Hope you had a nice holiday weekend with the family down at the beach. I did. I did. And speaking of changing schedules, congratulations in order to you and the missus. Uh, I, I don't know if you followed Tyler on social media over the weekend, but he is going to be a daddy. So had to uh, put that out first and foremost here. Congratulations uh, to you. Obviously, you told me a little bit before, uh, you know, Always things before. went public. You did a nice job, yeah. my friend. I appreciate the uh, appreciate that. You kept it under your lid for a long time. Yeah, I, I I don't have anybody to tell. I'm just here at the house, and the dogs knew, and that's about it. I didn't even tell my wife, which your wife reached out to my wife this weekend. It was great. But uh, congratulations, of course, to you guys. It's awesome news, and we can't wait to uh, to add to the family here. Thank you. Yes, conveniently uh, set for a midseason um, <laughs> delivery. Yeah, yeah, about that. <laughs> so um, that was terrible. But we're pretty my, t- my, we're timed out pretty well, though, Sean. Uh, due date is October eighth. They play Iowa, I believe, October 9th. Um, I may have that matchup wrong, but whatever is next is a bye week. So maybe kind of sort of found the the sweet spot, which means the baby's probably going to show up like Ohio State week or something. If that's what you got to tell yourself, that's fine. Whatever. Um, but no, it's, uh, it's, it's awesome news. We're, we're everybody I see from your, uh, from the responses, very happy for you, but, uh, We'll get from that. Well, I'm sure we'll have more more baby talk later. I don't think that's what people are logging sure in for. The, I'm sure the baby will make talk. an appearance on this podcast during the season as well uh, in, in, in its own way. So, yeah, baby girl's great. We look forward to that. But we got plenty to talk about here with, with spring practice, Sean, because James Franklin kind of emptied the notebook with some names a little bit for us. He, he doesn't get into a lot of details uh, d- during uh, you know spring football. They really want to stoke the fire with the competition. Um, but when he was asked, you know, who's standing out, who's carrying some momentum from winter workouts and continuing that into spring workouts, he did reel off a bunch of names, Sean, and wrote them down here on the rundown for us. And an interesting mix of guys who are in their first semester on campus and then guys who are reaching the, the, the end of their time really with the Nittany Lions for some of them and have big gear set up. Yeah, it's always good when the names that are, uh, that he mentions are the names that are aligned with what we've been hearing coming out of winter workouts into spring ball. Two that really jump to the top of the list here, and I, I know you you have them listed here first on the uh, on the rundown. But cornerbacks uh, John Dixon and Kalen King, obviously two newcomers, but from different backgrounds. When John John Dixon came from South Carolina, 
Kalen King uh, came from high school, of course, as a, as a January enrollee. Those guys, I see some opportunity there. We've talked a bunch about how good that corner room is, how deep and experienced that corner room is. But, you know, you, you kind of look over what's going, uh, you know, what, what you project and um, you feel fine about the outside, but then you move to the inside. Given what Penn State has at safety, you would like to see a third corner in there as maybe your star type guy, your nickel corner type uh, uh, player. And I think that Dixon and King both kind of fit that bill. We talked to Terry Smith a couple of weeks ago, and he had actually labeled those guys as potential stars. And I think that or star position guys. And I think that that's probably where they're going to see, you know, their most action, at least to start. You feel good about Castro Fields and Porter on the outside. Of course, Keaton Ellis, Marquise Wilson there as well. Um, but these two guys, a little quicker, of course, Kalen King, we talked uh, probably ad nauseum about uh, his shuttle times and things like that. Uh, a little quicker on the inside. You like to see, uh, you know, a little bit, a uh, little bit of versatility there. And, and if these guys can step up, be physical, along with being good cover guys, I think they could definitely, uh, you know, impact the two deep and, and play right away. King coming right out of high school, and you've got Dixon coming off a season in which he played a lot of football, started several games for South Carolina in the SEC. They had a couple cornerbacks opt out early in the season that promoted his duties, and now he's off to Penn State after a couple of years of gaining experience at the Power 5 level. So uh, interesting to hear his, his name continue to pop up on making that transition. Another positive uh, early feedback, well, not so early anymore. He's been on campus for, for about three months now. Uh, Arnold Evicade, the uh, transfer defensive end from the Temple Owls, was an all-conference player for Temple last year. Um, a guy they really need to, to step up and, and make an impact at defensive end where they are so low on experience. Doesn't have that power five experience. He's going to have to make that leap into Big Ten trenches and handle himself well. But continues to sound like they really like what they've gotten from Arnold coming in the winter kind of getting some foundation under his feet on a new campus and and building off that this spring. You nailed it. Uh, the importance here is, is just off the charts when you're talking about what they have at defensive end, uh, you know, the experience that they return. You know, if, if you look at the snap counts last year, Jason Owe and Shaka Tony the overwhelming majority of snaps. And that's not something that we've been used to when Sean Spencer was around. I don't know if that's a John Scott thing. I don't know if he was just more comfortable with those guys. Maybe the shorter season played into that a, a little bit as well. Um, but but you're going to see this is a very important spot for Penn State. The guy they call AK uh, really has done some nice things since arriving. And if, you know, if he can be anywhere close to what they got out of those guys last year, uh, I think that's a, certainly a win and a step forward. Um, you, you, you've got Adisa Isaac on the other side. Of course, Tarburton's a guy that we've talked about a lot at defensive end, but of course he's been, you know, he's battled injuries his entire time. Not sure what Smith Vilbert brings to the table. Do you see some Hakeem Beeman out there or maybe even Zariah Fisher or things like that? So, so many questions at defensive end, but if you can keep those front two guys healthy, if you can keep those guys, you know, playing at a, at a high level, you know, it kind of takes a little bit of the edge off there. So this is a guy that's, you know, just of paramount importance to that defensive line and, and that defense as a whole. And uh, if he can take that step, I mean, that that really softens the blow from what they lost from last year. Another note on that, Franklin mentioned, you say playing at a high level. He also wants him to be able to play at a higher weight, him and Adiza Isaac. He said, uh, both Ebikade and Isaac, their college track record shows that their weight drops off as the season wears on. Uh, these are guys who were build them up kind of prospects when they got into college football. Um, he wants them to be mid to high 250s throughout the course of the 2021 season. I thought that brought me back to something you mentioned just pretty recently on this podcast is 
the pursuit of getting bigger, um, getting maybe a bit wider at, on the perimeter on the defensive line. And who knows, maybe Akeem Beeman does kind of fill that role. He's, he's come down a bit in weight um, and kind of matches maybe more of what you might want at defensive end. Well, you need numbers and you need, you know, different body types and things like that, especially we, we've talked about this a couple of times, the schedule makeup, having Wisconsin right off the bat says, hey, we, we got to have a, a defensive tackle ready to get out there and play some five tech to a guy that can stop the run, similar to what Kevin Givens used to do. They think that Hakeem Beeman can be that guy. Maybe even Amin Vanover might be a, a guy in that situation as well. So I, I just think the numbers being what they are, you have so many defensive tackles, you have so few defensive ends and even fewer experienced defensive ends. So you got to do what you can to sort of mix and match there and, and sort of get by with, uh, with that early, with that tough early schedule, get by with as much as you can uh, very quickly right off the bat. Staying in the defensive front year four now for PJ Mustafer. I mean, I would be stunned if this guy isn't elected a team captain when those are announced in August or, or what have you, Sean. Um, leading by example is what you hear about PJ Mustafer. Um, it seems like he's a very important cog in the in the machine for uh, Coach Coach John Scott, and 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 you lose Shaka Tony, someone who was very good in that kind of role of being the uh, a guy who could who could be the enforcer within the room, the the, the peer influence. PJ Mustafer stepping up in that department with some veterans leaving elsewhere, and a guy that you know looking to take that next step forward, a former top 100 overall prospect, and a player that I think when you look at the 2018 recruiting class, one of those big names involved there, there's not a lot of those guys left in year number four here on campus. And he's someone you circle as, you know, what a leap in production and what a leap in performance could mean for him personally and financially down the road. And certainly what it would mean for John Scott and that defensive line here in the 2021 season. Yeah, I still think he has that big ceiling that uh, that everybody talked about. And, you know, you're going to fall back on the wrestling background, fall back on the personality and all that kind of stuff. I think that he can be that leader. You talk about losing Tony and losing Shelton, two of the older guys. Mustafer's much more Tony than he was Shelton in terms of leadership. And I think that's really going to help out uh, the rest of the guys in that room. So it remains to be seen who he's paired with, whether that's Beeman, whether that's Derek Tangelo, maybe see some Fred Hansard in there. I, it's not sure. You're not sure where that's going to shake out, but you still feel okay about where they're at at defensive tackle, especially if, if Mustafer can play a lot of snaps for them. So I, I, I like it. I mean, you, you need a guy right in the middle that's going to, you know, change some things for you. I think last year, actually the last two years, They've done some some good things, but maybe haven't been the consistent force that you would hope they could be. Uh, we we grew so accustomed to watching Penn State having a guy in the middle uh, just year after year after year. It was kind of like an assembly line, and that kind of tapered off a little bit. And You, you hope Mustafer can be a guy that can get back to that all-Big Ten level. Mustafer did not start technically as a sophomore, but as we said that year, accrued starters reps essentially. So really a third-year guy. Um, in that big role as a fourth-year junior now. Um, someone else who was given a little bit of love here by Franklin for, for leading by example was Tariq Castro-Fields, someone that you talk about the cornerback room, the competition that's in place there, the newcomers, the the young players who played out last year, and then you got Tariq Castro-Fields sticking around for another year, and James Franklin went uh, right to Jaquan Brisker as well, said he came back for a reason. Uh, these two guys, Sean, um, uh, certainly different situations. Brisker finished finished his season on a high note uh, and you had three Castro fields finishing his season on the sideline for the last six games. Um, so different decisions that they faced when it came to the NFL draft and kind of the trajectory of their careers at this point, but each of them back now as fifth year college guys, um, 
I don't. Are we just assuming? I know. I know you have it in your depth chart. Are we just assuming three Castro Fields is going to be able to go and, and re, regain that starting role? I, I think we're, we're pretty well inked in with Brisker being a starting safety. But what are your thoughts on Castro Fields? Because you know it's 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 a bit of a climb to get back there. I know Terry Smith trusts him. I know that that he picked up a lot from watching football last year. But he's coming off a season in which he played a third of of the time. And younger guys around him gained experience, and Joey Porter, uh, you know, a freshman in his first year, certainly isn't going anywhere as well. Yeah, I think that there, there's levels to that question because you're talking about a guy who's who's played pretty well when he's been in there, but really ha- you haven't been able to to lean on him over the last two years because of those injuries, because of those setbacks that have kept him off the field. So. Yeah, I mean, I see him as a starter. I see him as one of the top guys in that defensive backfield, but I also see him as a guy where anything can happen and and he could be on the sideline for a couple of the games. So I don't I don't think it's a situation where he's lost his job or he's in danger of, you know, just going away completely. And that it's going to be injury if it if that happens and I, I feel pretty confident about that. So I still see them as, you know, veteran guys with expectations and and I think it's okay to have expectations for both of those guys. I know Brisker the the you know they're sky high no no doubt about it what people want to see out of him after the way that he ended the 2020 season but Castro Fields you kind of have that expectation okay is he going to be uh, you know is he going to be a contributor is he just going to be a a rah rah guy on the sideline because he's hurt it's hard to say I think you can have expectations that he's going to have a good year and that's uh, there's 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 nothing wrong with that he's a very talented kid very athletic kid means a lot to him and I think that that although we overplay that sometimes it it, it does make a difference so I think that. The, that, that it's fine to to have the expectation. What what I'm looking for here, more so than the the macro vision here, is the communication that defensive backfield over the last couple of years has been anywhere from not good to non-existent. And I think that those two guys, it's it's certainly squarely on their shoulders. You're not sure who's going to be the other uh, safety. You're not sure which corners are going to pl- be playing in that mix right now. So it's on Brisker, it's on Castro Fields to get their guys in order, to get their position groups in order, and to, to be in communication when they're out on that field. Among all the returning players referenced by Franklin during his latest media session with us, the one that popped out to me most and the one I saved for, for the end of the conversation here is offensive tackle Rashid Walker, now a third-year starter, um, fourth-year sophomore, um, and a player who this time last year, Sean, when you were looking at some of those early 2021 NFL draft projections, started to see him creeping up late first round, one of the, 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 the premier perimeter offensive linemen in the class potentially, didn't see him make that huge jump. Um, I think there are a lot of people who said, uh, including us, you know, uh, during the course of the season that you know, Rasheed Walker is someone who would stand to benefit from sticking around another year rather than leaving after his redshirt sophomore year. That's ultimately what he did. That's a big win for Phil Troutwine up front. And Franklin made it a point to say that Rasheed Walker has stepped up his approach on the practice field to the point where they truly feel like now in his fourth year on campus, top 100 overall prospect in his own right back in 2018, really ready to fulfill, maximize his potential. And uh, first off, that that's great news for, for Sean Clifford, whoever's back at quarterback, the guy who's protecting your blind side. Continue to, to, to say here, though, Rasheed Walker puts those pieces together. It doesn't have to be 100% put together by the end of the season, but if he shows and builds off more so what we saw in 2019, Sean, I think it's all still in place for that NFL draft stock to end up where we kind of thought it could be. If you're a Penn State coach, you're you're hoping that last year humbled him. 
not that it was a bad season by any stretch or anything like that, but you were reading first round stuff. You were reading, okay, this guy, if he comes out, he's got everything you want. He checks a lot of the boxes and, and goes from there. And then it just didn't go that way. So you're hoping that that last year could be some sort of a wake up call and maybe he sees where he needs to be. He's of course was going against some future pros and, and was watching some guys around him that are going to get a shot uh, as pros. So I think that that's very important for him. It's, it's one of those things in the life cycle of an offensive lineman when you are coming in with the size that he has, the athleticism, the, the the raw talent, I'm not sure that there's been a, a more talented guy that's come into the program in terms of uh, what what you look for with offensive line traits than Rasheed Walker. It just maybe just doesn't come together. Maybe you just are you sit there in the office and say, okay, you're probably a year away, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but at the same time, you hope that he takes that the right way and goes about it the right way, just based off of the stuff that that we've heard so far. And I think we closed our notes last week on the podcast by talking about. Rasheed Walker and Caden Wallace and how we've heard some good things about those offensive tackles. If they can put that into action, I mean, I'm a huge Rasheed Walker fan, always have been. And I think really, I don't think we see him in 2022 because I think he has the potential to be a, a guy that's out after this year. Um, although I don't, you said what, fourth, fourth year sophomore. So I don't even know where, where we're at with that anymore. Um, but I, it's one of those situations where he's so immensely talented. And if he can bring that all together, I mean, the sky is certainly the limit for this kid. Um, strictly speaking, potential ceiling, um, professional uh, possibilities. This current tandem at tackle for for Penn State, Sean, two guys were very prized as prospects in Caden Wallace, Rasheed Walker, one on the right, one on the left. That's what we're projecting here heading in. That's what we saw at the end of the 2020 season. You've been covering Penn State for a long time. Offensive line is the spot that has, has kind of taken certainly uh, a span to build up since the scholarship numbers dwindled for Penn State. Is this the most uh, high ceiling duo that you've seen in place for Penn State under Franklin at least? Oh, under Franklin, absolutely. I mean, I I was trying to think there if they, if I could think back into the uh, the times that I've spent following this this program, and it, it, you know, you could probably some split some hairs with some guys, but yeah, um, under Franklin, I mean, we we saw what that offensive line looked like when he took over, and obviously Donovan Smith uh, has made the most out of his career and and things like that. Ryan Bates has been uh, terrific and has has worked his way into an NFL player, um, but in terms of bookends, in terms of two guys, it's that's tough to beat, and you know. Caden Wallace is going to be one of those guys that needs to take that next step. I mean, we see we see some of that talent shining through, like we saw with Walker. And you know, get, does he stall? Does that happen? It's hard to say. But in terms of pure talent, in terms of uh, sort of being able to make up for the short some athletic shortcomings or maybe some guys around them, that's really what you're looking for with an offensive tackle. And I think both of these guys have those traits uh, that can really work. I'm still not convinced that Caden Wallace is a tackle at the next level, but that's a conversation for maybe two years from now. Wallace goes from that first year as a starter to a full offseason with Phil Troutwine, full uh, full slate of spring practices. Rasheed Walker jumping into that with, with Phil Troutwine. They split they, they split for three months, don't have those spring practices away from campus. You'd think that that would set up the stage a bit more for, uh, for Caden Wallace, conducive to taking that step forward. Uh, we'll find out. But, yeah, that tackle group is, is, is a special one potentially. And then just units that James Franklin pointed to without going down the list of names. It shouldn't be any surprise to listeners here of the show. Running back, tight end. 
recruited at a high level there with Tyler Bowen and J1 Sider. Bowen off to the NFL, as we've discussed. And as we said, you, you do lose Pat Fryermuth. You, you still hate that Journey Brown uh, misses opportunity to finish his career. But what you're working with behind those guys and, and what you ultimately had joined the program here at running back specifically with uh, with the transfer uh, coming in from Baylor and, of course, with Noah Kane working his way back. Uh, James Franklin just really highlighting those two spots in general. It's not quite a position recruiting itself, but it's it's really playing off of the guy in front of you, the guy ahead of you on that scholarship chart, tight end. Uh, you know, we saw where it was just three or four years ago, and it was not good, but they, they've they managed to turn it around very quickly. Running back uh, has been at a high level for a long time. Uh, you know, you kind of had a little bit of a dip there at the beginning of the 2019 season uh, when you were playing that, uh, that rotation that just uh, kind of was mind-numbing, and then Journey Brown all of a sudden kicks out of it. But you see how those guys around you work. You see how those guys around you uh, respond to uh, different adversity. And, and really, it rubs off on the guys around you. You'd love to have more positions like that, obviously, um, if you're Penn State. But uh, as, as we've been saying for the better part of probably two years now, running back and, and tight end in a great spot. And, and you really can't say enough about the things that Jaywan Sider has done, the stuff that Tyler Bowen did when he was here. And now Ty Howe walks into a pretty good scenario uh, as, as the new position coach there. Wide receiver, not quite on that same level yet, but it's a it's a spot that is certainly in a better place than it was in spring of 2020 or spring of 2019, quite frankly. Uh, Taylor Stubblefield in year number two in Happy Valley, uh, speaking with us for the first time since last November. So we had a lot to catch up on. And let's start here, Sean. We, we spent some time talking about him last week. We'll spend a lot of time talking about him this uh, offseason as it continues but they feel like they had that national buzz guy Jahan Dotson everybody was on the same page um, about being excited and thrilled that this kid stuck around or this young man stuck around uh, for another year in Happy Valley mentioned last week he wants to be legendary but I think where where the conversation goes from there is Parker Washington has really picked up where he left off Um, you you look at the production that he came in and 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 right off the bat caught a touchdown uh, in a key moment on the road at Indiana in his first game um, and from there, we just saw a lot of him. Uh, Stubblefield just just absolutely loves what this kid brings to the field, and we've heard it. Uh, it it's it's the toughness, it's the the body stature as well, uh, pushing two hundred five in that range. Um, built like a running back, we've heard a power back is, is is what Taylor Stubblefield talked about. He said he has guys over the receivers over for for you know dinner at his house with his family. He said Parker Washington's probably the first receiver that spent the entire time in the kitchen. Uh, he has been packing on the calories and he has been maintaining his trajectory as one of the really impressive young pass targets in Big Ten football. Yeah, that that's something that's, that's very exciting there. Of course, uh, I think more attention will be paid to Dotson this season. And I don't know. I mean, that's not a slight on what he faced last year, but I think the attention is going to be there and it's going to be, it's going to have a chance for them to do some, some different, some special things with Parker Washington where you can move him around. You know, you, you saw him as a slot guy last year. He could play inside and out. You mentioned that body type. He is a guy that can be tough on the outside. Or he can also, you know, the, obviously the height is something that you'd like to have with both of those guys that, that they don't quite bring to the table. But both these guys can make the contested catch. They can go up and get it. They can play out of the slot. They can play inside out. You can put these guys in motion. They can do some things that can really uh, mess up some defenses. And and really, I, I don't know that we've seen the least of what they can do. And that's saying something considering the production that they had last year. So 
Uh, really excited to see which direction they can both go in. You're going to have to find a third guy. It looks like Keandre Lambert-Smith can be that guy eventually. Um, but uh, is Cam Sullivan-Brown going to push him? Do we get any sort of movement out of Daniel George in terms of, uh, you know, this is a guy that has had some expectations the last couple of seasons, just hasn't been able to catch the ball consistently and has worked his way down the depth chart and, and has seen himself lose reps because of it. Can he get back there? So I think there's there's still plenty of questions there. I, I don't question the talent level and, and things like that, but you would rather have four or five guys that you know you can rely on than the, the two, maybe three guys that you think you can rely on right now. So I, I think there, when you're talking about questions at the receivers, it comes more in the numbers than it does at those top level, uh, the top, the top level starters. Yep. Yep. And, uh, you know, he, he was very careful to mention just about everybody in that room who's on a scholarship, at least, um, in terms of the competition, because it really is Jahan Dotson, Parker Washington, and then a lot of people with plenty to prove with Keandre Lambert-Smith and Cam Sullivan-Brown seemingly kind of on that next tier. Um, Daniel George still in that mix and, and, you know, the guy who's looking to break out. But, you know, it it's really comes down to what are you getting out of that class last year? Mega, Dotton, Norval Black, the names that we've mentioned a lot. And then what are you getting from the class that you just signed? Liam Clifford, uh, Trey Wallace, and Lonnie White. Parker Washington was not on campus last spring. He was not on campus. Uh, I, I, he didn't, you know, I think Sean Clifford said the he wasn't throwing consistently to Parker Washington on a practice field until about two weeks before the season opener. That's when they really started to be able to to connect with, you know, with, with the starting lineup and, and all that. And you just wonder, the, the door certainly seems open for that again. Um, it was our first chance to talk about that group a little bit with, with Taylor Stubblefield since the signing day has come and gone. Um, and, and it's just really, you know, he just feels like these guys all can go and catch the balls in, in, in different ways. He just feels like they're not getting any one-trick pony here. There's not just a speed guy that you hope pans out. Thinks they're getting some complete wide receivers. Um, they, they like everything that Trey Wallace checked off the box, um, and he's super compelling. Uh, I keep going more so back to, to Liam Clifford and, and, and Lonnie White about guys who come in and I think play right away. But I may be shortchanging Harrison Wallace simply because he's a guy who wasn't personally on my radar until really after Thanksgiving last year, Sean. So I, that's probably some recency bias. I think, yeah, I'm sure we're all guilty of that. Uh, but uh, plus he's out of the area. You know, you got the Pennsylvania kid and Lonnie White, the Ohio kid Clifford's the name is synonymous with, with the program right now. So I think that makes sense when you're talking about guys that you're going to leave out of the conversation. It's going to be Trey Wallace and nothing wrong with that. I mean, I, I don't see him stepping in and going right away. Tremendously athletic kid. I, I think you probably get an appreciation for what Parker Washington was able to do last year. Not too many guys come in that ready. I mean, we, we've talked about uh, the, the, the business decision type things with, with Parker Washington, Noah Kane, those guys that come in, you know, just to be here for a couple of years and then go. And certainly nothing wrong with that, especially if they perform at a high level. I don't know that we see that from any of these three guys. Tremendously high on Lonnie White. I mean, obviously, we were over the moon about him before, you know, People realized he wasn't a quarterback, uh, but uh, just uh, the athletics, the athletic ability is there. The ceiling is is certainly very high with him. But you know, in terms of him being a refined receiver to do all the little things that you need to do as a true freshman to come in and not only play but be very productive as Parker Washington was, I, I don't know that we've seen that from Lonnie White just yet. Liam Clifford might actually be 
a little bit closer to that. And we've seen some of the things that he's been able to do. I mentioned he's one of those inside out guys that you could put in the slot, even though he's got a bit of a bigger body there. Um, so I, I think that that's what it's going to come down to. And of course, until these guys get on campus, which all three of them are set to come in over the summer, you're really not going to know for sure. So I, I don't know that you're going to see that immediate splash. It'd be nice if Lonnie White was arrived and he was ready to go right away uh, because in terms of athleticism, in terms of just the complete physical package, Penn State really hasn't had that. And you don't know if you've got that with Malik Meg. I know you kind of glossed over those 2020 guys, and I'm not sure what we can expect out of them just yet. Uh, but uh, yeah, if you can get Lonnie White and get him ready to go, uh, that would be that would be very entertaining, I believe. Since 2018, only three Penn State receivers have got uh, surpassed 30 catches in a season. Uh, K.J. Hamler, Jahan Dotson, and Parker Washington, as you said, doing it without a real offseason, doing it as a guy who showed up to campus in the summer and, and basically saying, we're throwing it together, and now we got to play Big Ten football, figure it out. Uh, he certainly did as the season went on, but a lot to sort through, and, and it's it's a hard feat to duplicate for any true freshman. Um, we will be right back. We're going to talk about some additions to the non-conference schedule upcoming, uh, some transfer portal and recruiting notes, and we'll get to our five-star mailbag. Stay with us here in the Lions 24-7 podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The time has come for drag queens to save the world. RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars is back on Paramount Plus, and for the first time ever, I want you to use your talent for good for a change. <laughs> Eight iconic queens are competing for the charity of their choice. This is how you do drag. Who will slay it forward, win cash for their favorite cause, and a coveted spot in the Drag Race Hall of Fame. RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars. New season streaming May 17th exclusively on Paramount Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Looking beyond the 2021 season, well beyond actually, uh, we've got a few new non-conference games on the schedule for Penn State. A couple of them uh, making up for what was lost in 2022 to the pandemic. Kent State back on the schedule. That'll be in September 2024. San Jose State back on the schedule as well. Uh, that'll be September 2026. And the other matchup we now know, Marshall uh, is now the scheduled opener for 2026. Charles Huff, uh, former Penn State running backs coach um, with James Franklin here. Now the first year head coach at Marshall. No guarantees he'll be around. Uh, just a note to make there uh, as Penn State sets up its schedule. And Sean, when you look now through 2025, uh, I think they've got every game scheduled except one. And that Virginia Tech matchup that was supposed to be in Happy Valley in September of 2025, no longer listed on Penn State's official future schedules. So they're going to have to plug a spot there in 2025. I know you were really concerned about that. In general, I'm, I'm bummed that we won't get a chance to, to go down to Blacksburg and they won't get to return the visit. I was looking forward to that series and covering it. Uh, but you know, none of these are, are wow uh, additions, Sean, but uh, they're ones that... Uh, 
college football, they fill these things out well in advance, and Nittany Lions doing that here. I mean, you've got this is basic scheduling right here. I mean, you've got to find the big time game. You've got to find the the ones that sort of fill in the schedule. Kent State and San Jose State, which good on Penn State for for holding up those uh, those contracts that they had for this past season when those games got wiped out. Of course, the Virginia Tech series is the one that's going to turn heads. It's the one you're going to miss the most. It's the one I'm going to miss the most because I was looking forward to uh, to checking out Lane Stadium and things like that. But uh, yeah, I mean it's 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 got to be a situation where you find something in 2025. Um, you know, you you want it to be. It's gonna it's going to be your headliner. It's going to be a good one. I I don't really tend to dive into scheduling all that much, to be honest with you, because it's so random and it's so far out. Um, and, and as we saw this year, it can all fall apart pretty quickly. So uh, we'll see what happens. And I'm, I'm very curious to see where Charles Huff is the head coach at uh, in, in 2026 when Marshall comes to town. Yeah, you've got Auburn uh, coming up here in, in, in 2021. Then you go to Auburn uh, in 2022, and you've got West Virginia 23 and 24 for a home and home. So uh, just just a heads up there on some of the the, the marquee out of conference matchups coming Penn State's way. Uh, we'll stay tuned for what they've got on the docket in 2025. Sean Portal news, uh, not necessarily uh, of the beneficial standpoint for Penn State here. Uh, Tyke Smith has announced his decision. He was the uh, former West Virginia safety out of Philadelphia that we discussed last episode. Yeah, he's going to go to Georgia. Uh, that's one of those schools that was mentioned early for him. Uh, said it on the last episode, wasn't getting the, the best feeling about that one. And I, I think it's, you know, it, it, it's a hit, no doubt, no doubt. You you hope that Jair Brown can make that uh, leap at safety, but you'd still love to pull in somebody that's got some experience, love to pull in somebody that's had some high-level experience like Tyke Smith, but just did not work out. So I, I don't, you know, I don't know that you're going to, you know, lament that one for for a long, long time. But if you could have brought somebody in at that experience level, at that talent level, you certainly could have would have made your defensive backfield a little bit stronger um, in the back end. So that's that that's a tough loss for Penn State. Not a lot of plug and play possibilities out there at this point in the calendar year. Kind of felt like one there, maybe with Tyke Smith. Uh, another name that's been uh, you know a hot topic on the message boards for us and has come up in some of the quarterback conversations earlier this winter, Sean uh, Tyson Pumachan, the quarterback out of Clemson. Um, I, th- I think he's in year three now at the college level, and a name that we have discussed as Clemson has recruited so well at quarterback. Um, it, it's a spot where guys tend to, to see the right on the wall, make their move. Thought maybe Tyson could, could follow that path. Maybe Penn State's in play there. Uh, but a serious injury suffered during the Tigers spring game. Uh, I believe it's feared to be a torn Achilles, Sean. So uh, that's going to put him on the sidelines. And that's really going to take him, I would imagine, out of the conversation as Penn State. If they're looking to the transfer portal, it's going to be to shore up depth here in 2021. Yeah, it sucks for Tyson. Uh, he's a Connecticut kid who Penn State recruited um, from from the start. Uh, basically, it was one of their one of his first offers, I believe. Um, so he's always been associated with Penn State. He was a guy that I watched closer than any other quarterback in the portal this year, or potentially going into the portal this year. No real secret. I don't think he was going to win the starting job uh, at Clemson, but still, you got a guy that's been in a program for a few years, been in a, in a high level program like Clemson for a few years. Um, maybe not the most refined guy, maybe not the the, the best player um, that you're going to find um, floating around that portal, but I think he made the most sense. Penn State 
was aware of his potential to go into the portal. And I think that's something they were monitoring very closely. And now all of a sudden, I'm not going to say this one backfires, but now all of a sudden he, t- he tears his Achilles and you got to, you know, look at other options, got to see what's out there. So still feel confident they're going to keep an eye uh, squarely on that position at the portal. Um, it just might not play out like they thought it might, because uh, depending on who you talk to, and, and this wasn't really coming from the Penn State side, more from, from that side was, okay, can he get through the spring? Probably doesn't win the backup job. Of course, he was slowed in the spring uh, with some medical issues, but you know that makes sense as as a guy that's in his fourth year to transfer out and to go find another spot. I think it would have fit in with what Penn State was trying to do. You wouldn't have brought in uh, an established starter that would upset the cart for some of the younger guys, and 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 now here we are. So I mean, it's uh, it, it was nice to to hypothesize about it for a, for a while. Um, I think it's uh, it would have made sense. I think it could have made sense. And it's just that's a tough break for the kid. Speaking of spring games, we're gonna yeah you know, or whatever we're calling them this year. Not everyone's gonna be dubbed the spring games. Some will be uh, called the scrimmage, like like Penn State is doing in Beaver Stadium in a couple weeks. As we get past these, as the spring camps start to close up shop across college football, you're expecting that next wave of transfer portal entries and what we see develop at quarterback. I mean it's really going to be what the market is, right, Sean? I mean, I just I feel like coming out of spring, you're not going to see a bunch of movement coming in in May, June, July, where a quarterback's all going to dive in, maybe some special cases. But to me, this next stage, when quarterbacks say, it's not happening at this campus, i got to find a different program to make my move at the QB position, and then Penn State in turn takes a look with those three scholarship players. I mean, doesn't it certainly feel like by the time we get around to May, there's going to have to be some some serious proactive moves made by Penn State, or they may somehow stand pat. I mean, I don't know how they could at three scholarship quarterbacks. It's a very shaky spot to kind of situate yourself at approaching preseason camp. I mean, something's got to give there um, right. in terms of you know you've got if you go to the the portal to to land a veteran FBS guy, it's probably going to be a guy that lost a battle in camp. And, you know that says something about where you know he stands at least at his prior school. Or it's got to be an FCS guy that's coming up that maybe had a really good spring since they just had the spring season. Maybe thought, okay, it's time to strike while the iron's hot and try and get myself out there. I know Maryland was uh, is set to bring in a, a kid from VMI who, unfortunately, I think he tore his ACL or, or he had a massive injury that's probably going to knock him out for the the fall season. So that stinks uh, for him. Uh, but yeah, it might be one of those situations where you see yourself looking to a lower level to see if one of those guys can jump up and, and make it happen. I don't want to you know beat the drum on Jason Brown too long, but he was he was able to get out of St. Francis and into South Carolina and more power to him. And you just kind of sit back and wonder what uh, what could have been if your Penn State, if the timing works out. It didn't make sense. It didn't make a ton of sense at the time. Now you're kind of sitting there thinking, oh, man, maybe maybe I was able to use that. But uh, yeah, I don't want to sit here and lament that one too long. You you got to look and see what's out there. Maybe some guys that you had some contact with, maybe that you know their quarterback's coach, maybe you know their high school coach, something like that, um, and, and, and sort of make it work. I agree with you. Going in with three quarterbacks, especially – with one that's thrown one pass and one that has never thrown a pass, that's a that's some tough sledding to make. And if you can get a veteran guy in here, not only to you know do the veteran things, handle the veteran clipboard and things like that, but also compete, I, I think that that would go a long way. So it's uh, definitely grading on a curve at this point in the calendar. But uh, that's it. That's basically what you, what you've got out there. 
It's a tricky thing to do because you're, you're going to get a guy who wants to play football um, and he's going to see the situation. And you've got Sean Clifford there. And it's very telling now, I think, as we've gone on and we've heard from coaches and, and you've done your reporting, the conversation has not been about someone stepping up and, and, and beating out Sean Clifford for the job. The conversation is, is one of those guys going to be ready to be your backup quarterback and reliable backup quarterback? And as that narrative continues to get hammered home, you just wonder, is there, is there something you can put in between those, those, those two sec- segments of your quarterback room? Is there a player who would be a fit? But if it's a guy who's got one year of eligibility left, uh, he's taking a big risk. And if it's a guy who's got three years of eligibility left, then, you know, what does that mean about Taquan Roberson? There's a lot of dynamics in play here for first-year offensive coordinator James Franklin to look at. Um, Sean, a few minutes left here, shifting quickly to some recruiting notes. I just wanted to plug this. Your big board, uh, revised and refreshed, is up for the 2022 cycle. Uh, posted one, I think it was Friday, um, you know, re- re- recalibrating a bit in April after some commitments off the board. In March, anything uh, that stand out to you, particularly as you were putting that together? A couple guys moving up, a couple guys moving down. Uh, I think stock down on a guy like Tyler Booker at IMG is just that move. As we've seen it time and time again, really not great for Penn State. So uh, I I don't know that. You know, he, the Penn State's still in line for an official visit, but that's going to be tough. On the flip side on that offensive line, Malik McNeil, a guy uh, out of Massachusetts. He's originally from the Bronx. I believe, uh, he's a guy that's, you know, very squarely in Penn State's, uh, on, on Penn State's radar right now in the process of setting up his visits. And if he even gets to visits, this is a guy that, Maybe wanted to make a decision by the time that uh, that the season, or excuse me, that the uh, the official visit window, if it opened, rolled around. Um, so you've got guys like that. KJ Winston's a guy that I liked. He moved him up five spots on the big board. He's got a Penn State official set for June 11th. The safety out of Damatha. I really like what he brings to the table. Obviously, safety recruiting always a sticking point for Penn State. And then uh, uh, Caleb Artis, defensive tackle out of New York, uh, just set some official visitors. Brian Doan was able to track that down a few minutes. After I put up my big board, naturally, um, but Penn State in the mix there, um, and yeah, there's a, there's a lot of movement, uh, not a ton happening, but in terms of the more information that we get on guys, uh, moving some guys up, moving some guys down. Christian Driver is another big mover for Penn State, uh, so I mean, it's uh, it's it's one of those things where you're kind of sitting and waiting for June to roll around for that visit window to potentially open up. But at the same time, you know, you're trying to get a better feel of, of who's really involved because these guys are setting those schedules. Official visits, uh, big for long distance recruiting relationships and a couple long distance names here, Sean, put Penn State on their top schools list in the past 72 hours. Um, as of this recording, Louisiana defensive back Jordan Allen, um, Florida linebacker Omar Graham. Something to read into for Nittany Lions fans in either case? Uh, Graham's coming for an official, and I wouldn't be surprised if Allen does as well. Uh, Julian Humphrey's a guy that's out of the region that's probably going to come in for official as well. So I, I think there's some to be played into that. I mean, these are shorter lists than your top. I think I saw somebody with a top 15 or a top 12. We're looking uh, at five weekend. to seven range here, yeah. which we can work with. I mean, five to seven means, okay, you get five visits. So you're probably in that, uh, in that mass for a visit right now. So, um, Jordan Allen's a guy that could play corner, could play safety. I think Penn State likes him as a corner, actually. Um, but, uh, yeah, th- these guys that, 
you know, you got to keep warm essentially long enough for them to, to, to be able to get out. And, and, and that's another, another dynamic of this setting up the, the official visits in June is, okay, you have this to look forward into June, in, in June. So don't make a decision in May. Don't make a decision in April. I think that kind of comes into it as well. So yeah, Penn State's still hammering it out in the region, out of the region. Um, but it's a matter of, of sort of treading water until you can get to June and get these guys back on campus. A couple of years, you bring up Florida running backs, Kevon Lee and Kaziah Holmes for that early official visit window. They're committed to you by the time their senior season rolls around. Getting a guy on campus for those 48 hours, huge. Haven't had the opportunity with some of these long-distance players. Um, one other thing to add here, closer to home, Sean, Tyrese Mills. Uh, stop me if you heard this before. Penn State uh, interested in offering uh, a safety at a Lackawanna uh, we've seen them sign a couple during recent years, Jaquan Brisker, Jair Brown. Maybe that's your starting duo this year for Penn State. But Tyrese Mills out of Philadelphia, a guy who played for Deion Barnes at Northeast High School when Barnes was the defensive coordinator there. Barnes was basically like, go put up some tape and, and, and we'll take a look. One game, Sean, was all it took. Uh, Lackawanna postponed from the fall into the spring. They had their first game in March. He produced some tape. He got his first Power 5 offer from Penn State. And I think they're they're essentially in the driver's seat here. The relationship with Deion Barnes is big. He's a guy that's also close with Ken Talley. They spent time together in high school. Um, Talley, of course, committed to Penn State's 2022 class. So a lot to like here for the Nittany Lions. I think just like those past couple guys, Brisker especially, he goes out, puts together a heck of a, a year here in the spring. Maybe he blows up. Maybe he, he holds off on a decision until he can take some visits. Um, but but I think Penn State, to start things off as offer number one, proactive move on their part and one that, you know, certainly to keep uh, keep tabs on Tyrese Mills, a safety in this 2022 class. I mean, given the connections that this kid has to, to the current staff and to Penn State and guys that are eventually going to be here. By the way, Ken Talley did not decommit on April Fool's Day. <laughs> the worst freaking day of the year for recruiting, uh, reporting. But, uh, yeah, that's, uh, I gotcha. think a lot of, no, he did not. <laughs> he did not. Uh, a lot of that, uh, really points to in Penn state's favor here. I uh, really feel bad for the Juco guys that weren't able to get out there. So hopefully there are more stories like Tyrese Mills of guys getting the tape out there and being able to capitalize on going to the junior college for the recruitment. We've seen it, you know, really work out for a lot of guys in the past and hopefully they're able to do that this spring. They'll play in the spring. They'll play in the fall. That's two seasons in one year. And then he's hoping for early enrollment at the college of his choice. So stay tuned there. Sean, I know you've got to get out of here. Let's make this a quick mailbag. We didn't take a mailbag question last time. And here it is, getting back to that receiver room. With Penn State holding commitments from wide receivers Anthony Ivey and Caden Saunders and maybe Makai Flowers if he doesn't play safety, do you see the program taking another receiver in its 2022 class. Uh, absolutely. I, I think that numbers, when you're talking receivers, it's such a versatile position. It's such a position where you can add so much speed and athleticism to your roster from, you know, whether that guy ends up as a receiver, whether that guy ends up as a as a safety or a, an outside linebacker, whatever have you. Uh, Makai Flowers here, I'd love to see play safety. And, you know, he certainly has that potential as well. Yeah, you've got to do what you can there. And usually see them set out to, to sign maybe one or two receivers and end up with three. And that's that's why that happens. Um, you've got guys on the board. Uh, Darius Clemens has set up his official visit uh, for June. Christian Driver is a guy that probably fits in that Makai Flowers fold where he's a receiver. But at the same time, you know, you'd love to see him be a safety at some point. I mean, there's there's really no sugarcoating uh, his ability 
you know, it might be higher on the defensive side of the ball, but he wants to play receiver. So I do see them taking at least one more receiver. And, and it could be a scenario where if both those guys went on board, yeah, absolutely. You can take, uh, I think you could take them because you have enough versatility in those guys. And, and you know, they're still out on some other guys. Uh, Kevin Coleman keeps Penn State in the mix. He's a five-star out of St. Louis, Missouri. Um, just uh, Tyler Morris, you've talked to a couple of times. Guys that pre- Penn State's probably not going to get, but they're still out there. Andre Green Jr. is a guy that I probably glossed over a little bit. He's a tremendously talented kid out of Virginia that they're still uh, on, and I could see him taking an official. So there's a lot of names out there. If you, it's it's interesting because when you take a look at the offer list, when you go on a 24-7 sports and you click on offers, there's always a ton of receivers. And that doesn't mean that you necessarily need a ton of receivers, but that's where the athleticism is. That's where those guys hang out. And that's usually where you can overstock some, some players because you want to get faster. And that's also a spot where Penn State has been pretty good at identifying talent at, at their own camps and, and offering after those camps. And I think if they can get a window here, maybe you see a guy or two added to this 2022 target board at wide receiver during the summer that we're not talking about right now. But Clemens, 6'3", 205 pounds, different kind of athlete than the wide receivers currently on board. And that's something that Caden Saunders told us on the podcast when he was a guest. He, he compliments what the rest of us do big bodied uh, and, and by the way the top overall player in Oregon Oregon has the crystal ball pick but uh, uh Brandon Huffman who does a fantastic job covering nationally for recruiting for 24/7 sports uh, has a crystal ball pick in for Penn State pretty low confidence level at this stage but they're getting a visit and, and they've got some inside uh you know some inside push there with Caden Saunders and him being pretty close along the way Sean uh that's going to do it for this episode uh cover a, a lot we'll be back with a second later this week as we said trying to go Monday and Thursday here. We're getting James Franklin again this week. We'll have a few players between now and then as well. And we'll have John Scott Jr., defensive line coach for Penn State, who we have not spoken with since last season. Anything else to add before we get out? Nope, that should be it. Um, I think that we, we covered a lot in this issue and hopefully we can get more and, you know, hopefully we can get a little bit of eyes on practice eventually. I think there's some, uh, there's a scrimmage coming up next weekend and, and maybe one of us will get into that. It's hard to say, still up in the air right now, but no, that, I think that's about it for this, uh, for this issue. All right. Well, we'll talk to you real soon. On behalf of Sean, I'm Tyler. As always, we appreciate you tuning in to the Lions 24-7 podcast. CBS Sunday, after the Equalizer. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. It's the season finale. Everyone's looking for something. Of Tracker. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions. If you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker, CBS season finale Sunday, after the Equalizer, on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.